Let us pray. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be encountered, your forgiveness experienced, and your love made known. Amen. I hope you're wondering what David becoming king and moving the chest or the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem and Palm Sunday text have to do with each other. Seems like an odd combination, right? We'll get there. Reformed and reforming. I hear change is a four-letter word in most churches. But we're Lutheran. So we talk a good game about always reforming, about always being reshaped and reformed and molded by God and the Holy Spirit. But don't change anything at church. Hmm. We talked last week about being reformed together, and we looked at Ruth and her commitment to Naomi and them being soulmates as mother and daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law, mother-in-law, and how God used them to reshape each other, which leads us into today, because without that reshaping, without that reformation, without the foreigners being brought back into the fold in Bethlehem, the foreigner that Ruth was, we don't get King David. Right, if his great-grandmother never comes into the picture and commits her life because of her mother-in-law and because of their relationship, we never even get to David. So we jump forward in the story from last week. And we get David. David's already been anointed to be the next king while Saul is still king. And David is anointed even though he has older, bigger, stronger brothers. The ruddy but handsome, charismatic David who shows complete faith in God and no fear and sometimes questionable judgment is anointed to be God's king for God's people. But after Saul dies, the north and south split. That's one we can identify with America, right? In American history. There's a split. And the people in the south are quick to anoint David king. But after some turmoil, the north comes, all the tribes of Israel, and that's where we pick up the story at Mount Hebron, and come and pledge their support to David. And the kingdom is united again under one king anointed by God. And what does David do? He takes the ark, 
The Ark of the Covenant, most of us uh, know some of it from, you know, maybe a Sunday school lesson here or there when we were kids. If you're from my generation, we learned about the Ark of the Covenant from Indiana Jones. <laughs> and you learn the part of the story we cut out today between five and six. Don't mess with the Ark. Don't open the Ark. Don't touch the Ark unless you are ritually pure and clean because you die. There's a man who dies. And the story of the Ark, right, because it contains the tablets of the Ten Commandments, some other sources say it also contained Aaron's rod. Moses had it fashioned, but it contains his brother Aaron's priestly rod that he used in miracles. And some folks say it also contained bread. But the important part of the ark and the beauty and the design was it carried God's presence. And so when the Israelites would go into battle and whatever the ark went with them, things went well. One of their usual rivals, the Philistines, kept losing whenever the ark showed up. So the Philistines come up with this grand plan and capture the ark, which they do. But then things go badly for them because not their God, not their ark. And it goes so badly for them that even though they've looted the ark from the Israelites, they give it back. Not knowing now what to do with it up until this point, it's, it's stayed with an Israelite family out on the farm. But things go well on the farm. And so David, as the new king, makes a faithful decision about how this is going to be shaped. And it's going to be shaped with God because God's presence is with the ark. And so he takes the ark and he puts it in the center of the people in this town that they've taken back over that we know as Jerusalem. It's kind of like the Washington, D.C. too. It's not Judah. It's not Israel. It's Jerusalem. So as you're rejoining a kingdom of north and south, this was not a northern state, this was not a southern state, this is Jerusalem. And David then makes that the capital and the home for God and God's people. And eventually his son Solomon's going to finish and build the temple all around the ark. The ark is the center of the city, the center of the people. And while it may seem just like something 2000 plus 2,500 years ago to us, this is something that David did very intentionally, not just as a political move, but you see his faithfulness because when the ark is on the way to Jerusalem, there's a parade. When else are you going to use zithers and tambourines? If you were listening closely to the reading, we don't get a lot of zither today, do we? Zithers and tambourines and David dancing so wildly that his wife wants to leave him after seeing his dancing because she was embarrassed. That's all part of the story, right? You don't need to watch soap operas to read your Bible. So David, though, brings the ark. And the major point of this is he is putting God at the center of the life of the people the center of his life, the center of their life, the center of community life. Not just worship, but this is the center. This is where God is. And he puts God right in the middle of people. And so when Jesus comes as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as he comes into Jerusalem, where does he go? 
into the center of the city. And once again, we're supposed to make that connection. I never did before now. Right? I get there's the parade. The Palm Sunday parade, a little different, right? But in those words, Hosanna to the son of David. Just as David put God in the center of the city. The son of David has come anointed by God to put God back in the center of the city. And I always overlook that line until Bible scholars put these texts together for me. As Jesus comes into Jerusalem in this parade, the first place that he goes. That's why I cut the reading off today. That's why they cut it off right there because you can't miss the There's this parade and Jesus goes to the temple. There's a lot of other great stuff around it, but don't get lost in that today. Because today it's about putting God at the center. And this is where reformation happens. And being reformed always happens with God. It happens together for Ruth and Naomi and community. It happens, though, always with God on the move and God in the middle. The same was true for Martin Luther and Calvin and Melanchthon and the list goes on when you study the Reformation like our confirmation class will this afternoon. Never in isolation but always with God on the move and always with God in the middle. What a beautiful image. On the move but always in the center. When we talk about the church, where is God? God is here in the waters baptism. God is here in the meal that we share. And one of those things that's hard to explain because it's sacrament, because it's ritual, when we talk about the presence of God and the bread and the wine and we take that in, Where does that put God? In us, in the center, right in the middle. It also means that God is in charge. It also means following God's kingdom and God's ways, which is not about self-righteousness, but it's God at the center. And for disciples of Jesus Christ, it means putting Christ in the center of our lives. And how does that make a difference? It makes a difference because then when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, it's a commandment, not an option. When Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. It's not an option. This is God's way. What does it mean for my finances? What does it mean for my health? What does it mean for every aspect of life to come under that umbrella of God being at the center? Mark Allen Powell tells the story of when the Christians moved out to where the Gauls were and began converting the Gauls, the Gauls converted quickly, many of them. And so as they converted, the priest would come out and go to the river and they would baptize these grown, barbaric, picture image men, right? The savages, but they converted, so no longer. 
But as the priest would baptize the girls frequently, as they went to dunk them in the river, they would hold up one hand, usually their right hand. Occasionally, one guy would hold up his left hand. And the priests, wondering why this was going on, maybe they were afraid of drowning, what finally, you know, in the conversion part, got to asking them, so why do you hold out one hand? He said, because when you have told us, when we are dunked under the water, we are dead to ourselves and alive in Christ, and all of our life belongs to God and following God's ways, but we might have to fight, and with this hand, I might have to kill my enemy. Hmm. Dr. Powell goes on to point out, what is it when we are baptized, when we renew our baptism all the time in Christ? What is it today, if it was you, would you be holding out of the water? Control? It says for most of us in the first world, it's probably our wallet. Very convicting when he says it too, right? Because... Well, now, I'll give this much, but I'm using this for my family and finances. Which goes back to control. What area of our life have we not surrendered to God? Which is also the way of saying, what area of your life is God not front and center? And that we should all evaluate that all the time because that's the part right our sinful nature saint and sinner as we celebrate reformation saint because we are forgiven by god loved by god not but because we earned it but by the grace of god that we are all saints but at the same time we admit our sinful nature and the times we confess at the beginning of every service because of our mistakes when we own those mistakes where we've walked away from god most of the time it's where we have not kept god at the center we have done what we wanted to do. Hmm. But reformation and movement and world change happens with God at the center. It's as simple as a daughter-in-law committing to her mother-in-law and sharing life together. It's as wild and as crazy as David throwing a parade and dancing himself like a fool. But it's all about God and God's people with God in the center of our life together. Not just for them back there thousands of years ago, but for here, that call to worship that we had, right? God is Lord and leader and center of the church yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We can talk a lot about declines in churches across America. There's not a week that goes by. I don't read about decline in congregations, decline in denominations across the board around the world, except in Africa, where the church is booming. But in Europe and America and decline, at the same time to look around and say, hey, guess what? It's time for reformation. Phyllis Tickle, noted theologian, says reformation happens about every 500 years. It happened when Jesus came. It happened when Constantine put God at the center of government. 
It happens again in the 1500s with Luther and the Reformation. And what did we celebrate a couple years ago? The 500th anniversary of the Reformation and historical cycles. We're at the front end of the next Reformation. There's something scary and amazing about getting to be a part of that. But we have to keep God at the center. Let's learn from David. Keep God at the center. Let's learn from Jesus' example of God at the center of our lives. Let's experience that grace again as we come to the table in a few minutes of taking God and putting God in the center again. Because all you have to do is flip on the news to know that the world needs it. The reformation that continues in us so we can take it out there to a world that needs mercy, grace, and love. Amen.